Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Constantly making trips to Home Depot? Introducing Drop, the app that rewards you for every shopping trip. Earn free gift cards for shopping. Download the Drop app now and use code DROP33 to get $5 in points. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. I'm Joe McCormick. And I'm Christian Sager. Hey, so it is almost the new year. Uh, this is our listener mail episode right before the Christmas holiday. And we just want to remind you that we don't just do the podcast, right, guys? Like... We do a lot throughout the week. We are on social media curating all kinds of weird sciencey stuff. We're making videos. We're writing articles for how stuff works. We're Sleeping, writing. eating, Sometimes buying sleep. groceries. The eating thing I've been taking a little bit of a step back from, but mainly so that I can post on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. <laughs> and live blog NASCAR events. Oh, wait. Is that part of our contract? Yes, that's what we do now. Mm. Okay. All right. I'll try to get on top of that over the break. So, uh, if you out there want to catch up on all this other stuff that isn't the podcast, maybe you're just getting the podcast feed right into your phone. That's what I do with most of the podcasts I listen to. Don't forget to hang out with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. We're Blow the Mind on all those channels. And be sure to check out StuffToBlowYourMind.com because that is the mothership for this podcast. Uh, that's where you'll find all the podcast episodes going all the way back to the beginning of time. You'll find videos. You'll find a whole bunch of blog posts, cool lists and galleries that we put together, uh, and the landing page for each podcast episode is going to have uh, feature some links out to related content both on and off the site. And also, if you're one of the wonderful little gang who's been joining us every Friday at noon, you already know this, but we also do Periscope. Yeah. Uh, Periscope is a, how would you describe Periscope, Christian? It's, uh, a, it's a social media platform that I believe Twitter owns that is live streaming video. So literally, we hang out here at the office 
sit in front of an iPad and we talk to, I think it's like, we're up to like maybe about a hundred people a session now. Uh-huh. Um, but it could always be bigger. So yeah, if you want to ask us questions live or, or just come to chat, heckle us and, and yeah. have some fun. We, we tend to do that every Friday at noon. We announce it on social media before Eastern we go Standard on. Time. Eastern Standard Time, right? But we, uh, we may be erratic or, or absent the next couple of weeks over the holidays. We're still trying to figure that out. Yeah, but we'll you we'll let you know through our social channels. Because we're here in America, we have a pretty crazy next couple of weeks with Christmas coming up and mm-hmm. New Year holiday and Because it is an erratic traveling. time. Oh, it yeah. Is a, is it a time of stress? <laughs> and it is a time of darkness and, and monsters. monsters. Yes. Ah, yes. Perfect segue, Robert. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but uh, holiday monsters are are something that I cling to more and more, uh, especially given here in America, Christmas is in the holidays. It's just such a bombardment of 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 fake joy and enthusiasm and, and high expectations of what your celebrations and family time and and, and situation and just emotional state are supposed uh, to amount to, and all of it is in rather stark contrast. To the reality, well, first of all, just the reality of living life in the real world, yep. but even traditional treatment of a season that is is typified by darkness, the yeah. loss of light, uh-huh. the death of crops, and uh, and frozen soil. I actually pitched a story here at work the other day that I don't think we'll ever get off the ground that was like, let's do a cost-benefit analysis of the emotional well-being of people post-Christmas. Like, <laughs> like, 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 does all the, 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 the stuff that you put into it, right, does that mm-hmm. actually end up uh, as positive goodwill after all said and done. I'm the wrong person to ask. I'm kind of a Grinch, but I like, (laughs) I'm not a Grinch in the sense that like, I'm like, "Ah, I don't want to give gifts to anybody, but I just, I I have this sort of cynical viewpoint of the holidays, but I love giving gifts and I love even more Christmas monsters. (laughs) Yeah. That's well, my wife and I watch rare exports every Christmas. uh, That is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah. It's got, it's got everything you could want. Yeah, Christmas. And, I, and I'm really happy to see this sort of resurgence of uh, Christmas-themed horror movies. It's not just Halloween time where we get some really good, some really good horror movies. Well, it's an old tradition. You had yeah. Gremlins in the '80s. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> That's but, right. I always forget that that was a, essentially a Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Black Christmas, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, I think those were pretty horrible, weren't they? Uh, those always traumatized me seeing the, the posters as a child because yeah. I remember as a as a child I loved Christmas and yeah. I had. I would, I would really have like a childhood of like offense that I would take at seeing oh, those yeah. posters or, or certainly seeing one particular episode of Tales from the Dark Side about oh. the grither. Uh, I think the episode is called Seasons of Belief. And it's a, <laughs> okay. just a, it's not even a very good episode, but this has a monstrous ending where the grither, which is kind of this Grinch-esque creature, like reaches its arms to the windows and crushes the skulls of the the children's parents because <laughs> oh. they, I, you know, they, they weren't uh, believing in Christmas enough. Now, do you remember the episode of Tales from the Crypt that has an axe murderer dressed as Santa yes. Claus? That was a big theme in a season of American Horror Story. Uh, Ian oh, McShane yeah. shows up for like two episodes as a serial killer who dresses up like Santa Claus. Larry Drake, uh, who played the villain in Darkman, uh-huh. played the deranged Santa oh. on the Tales from the Crypt TV show. But that same story, if I remember correctly, was also featured featured in the older Tales from the Crypt movie. Uh-huh. And, of course, it has its roots in the comic itself. Yeah. 
So, okay. We're, <laughs> we're all, all of this is to say is that we, before we get into listener mail this episode, want to talk about holiday monsters for a little bit. So we each picked our favorites. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, we've got to start off with the new patron saint of, <laughs> of Christmas. He's everywhere this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah. Krampus has suddenly become popular. Yeah. Uh, well, there's at a least a mainstream main... movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which looks fun. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to going to yeah, check it out. Yeah, me neither. It's but about the guy who uh, uh, directed Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been uh, Krampus has been growing in global popularity. I feel each year, so uh, in, just exponentially. Uh, and it's it's really fascinating to look at that. I mean, on one hand, it's kind of you get kind of like that that angst about it, you know. Like I uh-huh. was I was a fan when Krampus yeah. was indie. I had dinner uh, with a, with a, a mutual friend of the show, uh, uh, E.C. Steiner, who's designed some of the artwork for stuff to blow your mind oh, yeah, yeah. for Monster Science. And we were talking about the Krampus phenomenon. And he's it, he had that kind of like, ah, oh, they're taking this thing away from us, man. Yeah, but and, and yeah, on, on one level, yeah, I, I get that. But then on the other level, it it is. Nice to see the the Christmas monster of the yeah. Krampus rising to such uh, such a, a position of, of holiday power. So we're all fans of Krampus, but Robert, you've done deep dive research into Krampus in the last week or so because you wrote how Krampus works for How Stuff Works. Yeah, it was uh, yeah it was the, the just the other week, uh, first week of uh, of December actually, and um, Tracy Wilson, who uh, in, in addition to being a site director, is also of course on uh, uh, stuff you missed in history class. Yep. she said, "Hey, we need a Krampus article." This uh, this uh, this year, do you want to write it? And I and I said, well, we we're going to have to get it out by December fifth because right. that's uh, Krampusnacht. That's the the eve of the feast of Saint Nicholas when Krampus and his kin uh, come down from the mountains to terrorize children and threaten to take them back in a sack and or and or beat them in the streets for yeah. their misdeeds. And so it was a it was a very quick deep dive where I had to, luckily it's a topic I've I've looked into a uh, number of times in the past, uh, but it gave me a chance to reacquaint myself. With what we know about Krampus history, his mm-hmm. uh, his mythic folkloric origins, and uh, and indeed this uh, this continuing timeline of his of his rise to power and uh, and and the, the efforts of others to crush him back down and keep Christmas happy. There's a really great uh, a novel that actually E. C. Steiner gave me for Christmas a couple of years ago mm-hmm. by uh, that artist Brom. Yeah, Gerald Brom. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's called Krampus, and it's a really cool. Christmas time horror story about Krampus and about how like sort of like he waxes and wanes over the years based on his popularity and how many followers he has. Oh, that, that, see, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. Because one of the things that uh, that I discovered when I was researching his history was that uh, if you go back, of course, Krampus always has his roots in uh, in German speaking Alpine uh uh, cultures. That's that's where he comes from. That's it's where like he, Austria, he, Switzerland. Kind yeah, of. a little bit of Italy. Yeah, any any place where you can find German speaking mountain people, then they they will likely have some version of Krampus. And of course, there are various versions of it. It's chance. It's the nature yeah. of folklore, right? Yeah. So before Nazi Germany's 1938 invasion of Austria, uh, Catholic uh, Austro fascist briefly held power. And uh, as reported in a 1945 New York Times article. They saw Krampus as a demonic, unruly, and also potentially communist <laughs> usurper of Christian tradition. Okay, uh, and this was—it's crazy to think this was a time too where Krampus was really popular. So he's all, on all over the postcards, and we've—I think we've all seen examples of of these old. Cool, creepy. Uh, yeah, I guess like uh, if if you're out there and you have no idea what we're talking about, mm-hmm. like Google image search Krampus, but he basically looks kind of like a giant 
satyr sort yeah. of creature with horns and kind of like a fawn and yeah. hooves and and chains sometimes chains right? a basket for kid children to throw in the, the yeah. back a big lolling tongue that sometimes has serpentine uh, qualities to it mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be sure to link to the house of works gallery anti santa claus yeah, That's or how certainly, people describe. Him. Well, he's sort of. He's kind of the anti Saint Nick, and by yeah. Saint Nick, I mean the, the the traditional dour Catholic Saint Nicholas. Mm-hmm. But he's also kind of like they're kind of like good cop, bad cop. Right. They both have the right. same mission, and they they're seen side by side. But when it comes to dressing up as one of these characters at Christmas, Krampus is always more fun. Oh yeah. But at this point, during the um, the Austro fascist rule. Um, he was mad popular that you'd buy. Not only would you buy all these postcards and Krampus candies, but he was actually stealing the role of prime gift giver from Santa. Oh, Krampus no. was not only coming to your house to scare you. He was yeah. also bringing the gifts. He was completely pushing old St. Nick out the door. So you'd go to the mall and line up to sit on this like Baphomet figure's <laughs> lap and say, oh, please, Krampus, I want to. You know, Super Nintendo. It couldn't be yeah. any less creepy than the actual Santas at the mall are. Uh, I'm, I'm going down another path. <laughs> my my nephew's uh, just turned two years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe Bastion's the same way, Robert's son. Every time my sister brings him to the mall to do the Christmas photos with Santa, he's just screaming and crying and trying to get <laughs> yeah, away Yeah, don't blame Santa. him. It was like yeah. that for Bastion at two. At, yeah. at three, he was more into it. He was, got into it. He had a very, um, you know, very serious holy respect for this, <laughs> this entity. But... But no, I, I'll refer everyone to the to the, the article and some other materials for a more in depth look at Krampus. But I, I will just leave you with that idea that there was a, a time uh, prior to a crackdown, they ended up outlawing Krampus and then requiring that Santa Clauses even uh, be registered uh, with the with the state. But there was this time where Krampus was about to take over. He was about to take over the holidays in Austria, but then the man had to shut wow. him down. If it that wasn't is for a, World War II, we, like, we could live in a world right now where everybody celebrates Christmas with Krampus. But are we heading that way? That's we thing. might be heading that We're, way anyway. Because his, yeah. his tide is, uh, is rising again. Hey, so. Santa didn't have a movie this year. Did he? I don't know. I think that Santa Probably has a many movie movies every year, every year that <laughs> yeah. you don't find out about because they're yeah. direct-to-video kids' movies. Yeah. Are they still making the Santa Claus movies? Are they on the Santa Claus 9? Uh, Is that the one with uh, the guy from Home Improvement? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, I've got my own Christmas monsters to talk about. And you have personal experience with these monsters. Oh, it it, it was so wonderful when I found out about them. So last year, my wife Rachel and I traveled to uh, the what I sort of think of as the moon land of Iceland. (laughs) Like I know it's actually a country on earth, but for some reason I started thinking about it, I guess because of like the Arctic isolation and the geographical character of it, I think of it as a moon of Europe. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I've been to Iceland as well and the volcanic uh, structure of the land makes it feel very lunar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that moon of Europe, it's wonderful. And as the guy at the Icelandic rental car place told us, Iceland is full of surprises. (laughs) One of them is their Christmas creature folklore. Uh, So Icelandic Christmas time has big highlights in the monster category. And the first one is Grilla the Child Eater. Uh, Grilla is a wonderful ogress who lives in caves among the mountains and her line is pretty much that the most delicious and wonderful thing on earth is the steaming flesh of naughty children. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a description of Gorilla written by the Icelandic writer Jan Arneson, and I got this from the Icelandic Museum website, but it, it goes like this. Gorilla has three heads and three eyes in each head. 
horribly long curved fingernails, icy blue eyes at the back of the head and horns like a goat. Her ears dangle down to her shoulders and are attached to the nose in front. Trying to picture that. That's That's an interesting piercing. I'd like to see that. (laughs) She has a beard on her chin Uh that is like knotted yarn in a weave with tangles hanging from it, while her teeth are like burnt rocks in a grate. Wow. That's an awesome image. Yeah. 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 Brutal. Uh, so beginning sometime in the 17th or 18th century literature, the, the legend emerged that Grilla shows up in town just before in, Christmas like, Reiki, is about to happen. Reykjavik or something. Uh, well, in, I think probably in smaller towns more sure. often. So yeah. there, there'd be towns all over, you know, the little farm communities uh-huh. where Grilla shows up before Christmas and it's time to collect. <laughs> she is there for the naughty children and they need to watch out or they will get dragged back to Grilla's cave in a sack. And boiled in a big cauldron, and then she can devour them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some some similarities with Krampus here, like the you know insertion into the basket or sack for mm-hmm. transport back to yeah. the cave or lair. Uh, but Grilla also, unlike Krampus, as far as I know, though maybe we can find out different. Grilla has kids. Ah, so together with a dude named Lepaluthi, she gives birth to a bunch of children, 13 of which become uh, more Christmas creatures for Iceland, mm-hmm. the Yule Lads. Ooh. Yeah, yes. Krampus uh, has occasionally, he, he sometimes has siblings, but uh-huh. I don't think he has any offspring. Now, now, are his siblings also evil, or does he have good siblings? Well, it depends how deep you go into sort of Germanic pagan uh, origins, because you get into this idea that they're like the beautiful children and then the ugly children of this uh. particular Germanic <laughs> goddess. And yeah. then Krampus is definitely on the ugly side of that equation. Oh, I think he's beautiful. Yeah. Well, so the Yule Lads are a group of 13 trolls who are all Grilla's children, and they're they're sort of a little bit closer to the Father Christmas, Santa Claus type figure. Yeah, the pictures recently. that I've seen of them, they look like little like Christmas elf imp type things. Uh-huh, but they're also still pretty different. So for the 13 days leading up to and including Christmas Eve... One different Yule lad visits your house each night. Now, mm-hmm. Joe, I have a request here. Can yeah. you please name them uh-huh. as if you are uh, as if you were Santa Claus uh, in the night before Christmas, calling on your reindeer? Oh, let's see if I can do that. So here they are. They each have names according to their proclivities. On sheep coat clod, on gully gawk, on stubby, on spoon liquor, <laughs> on pot scraper, bowl liquor, door slammer and skier gobbler, on sausage swiper, window peeper, door sniffer and meat hook, and on candle beggar. <laughs> uh, so, wait a minute, you may have heard some things in there like meat hook. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the ones that comes to your house. So th- oh, th- they cause <laughs> they cause eponymous mischief in a way. Each mm-hmm. one has a name that lets you know the kind of trouble it gets into. What kind of trouble is Meat Hook getting into? Gets in well. House? Funny you should ask because Meat Hook has a hook and it reaches into your house with the hook to steal morsels of meat. Oh, oh, that's okay. disappointing. I thought he he had a hook made of meat. Yeah, he shows up on St. Thorlax Day, by the way. Oh, what is that? <laughs> is Thorlax yeah. like a combination of Thor and Snorlax from Pokémon? No, it's December 23rd, St. Thorlax. Come on. You, okay. You don't you don't ask for the patronage of St. Thorlax? Uh only when I need to. Well, only when Sausage Swiper is at my door. Right. Or, or Door Sniffer. Door, those Thor, are my two Thor lacks a big help then. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, meat, yeah, Meat Hook, he steals the meat. But then there's also one like Skier Gobbler. Uh, so in Iceland, they've got this 
uh, sheep's milk yogurt type stuff. This is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dense dairy product uh, called skier and uh, and people love it. They they really sing its praises. I, I didn't really eat much skier in Iceland. So okay. I'm not a big yogurt guy, but skier gobbler comes to empty out your skier tub and he eats so much that he's about to pop and he starts howling in pain. So basically he, he does the Chinese buffet thing. All right. Uh, Hollywood producers listening right now. We need a gorilla in the Yule lads movie for Christmas 2016. Oh, we, Get on it. Stat there. There's a great source for this. That was a, a poem called the Yolas Wienernier. I hope I said that right by uh, Johannes Urkotlum. And it, uh, I read a translation of it into English that was just delightful. It lets you know about all the kinds of trouble that they get into. For example, you remember Sheepcoat Claude? Okay. As far as I know, what Sheepcoat Claude tries to do is he harasses sheep. So he gets into your sheep and he causes trouble and he tries to suck their milk. Okay. He tries to suck the milk from the sheep. But These he, guys are hungry. Gorilla doesn't uh-huh. feed them very he has, well. He has stiff knees, and that sort of prevents him from sucking the milk from the sheep correctly. Uh-huh. That's a tragic tale. Yeah. You, you know, there was a, st- a storybook I had as a kid, and uh, and I, I picked up a copy for Bastion as well. It's a, a, a book of uh, trolls and ogres. Mm-hmm. And it has, of course, the Billy Goat's Gruff in it and these wonderful illustrations that are reminiscent of... Uh, of, you know, of Bosch, uh, and, and similar works. <laughs> but, uh, one of the stories in it involves his house and every Christmas a bunch of little troll creatures come and just steal all their food and wreck their feast. Oh. But then a traveler with a, with a polar bear, he stays there that night and the polar bear hides under the table and then scares all the trolls away. It mm. sounds like that might be a derivative yeah. of, uh, of the Yule Lads. I think I know the name of this traveler. He's probably named Yukon Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to that oh, yeah. in a second. But I have to finish off one more thing about the Icelandic okay. tales. So uh, w- one last thing about the Yule Lads is th- they're softer than they used to be. So I think they used to also be trolls who would eat children. Yeah. But over time, I don't know. The, I guess the Icelanders were like, eh, it's a little rough for the kids <laughs> to <laughs> constantly be threatened with murder and death at Christmas. Uh, so okay. th- they changed it to where the Yule Lads now, they, they bring little gifts. So you put your shoe up on the windowsill, uh-huh. and the Yule Lads will leave small presents so, or candies in the shoe. If you've been uh-huh. good, if you've been bad, they used to eat you, but they no longer eat you now. They just bring you rotting potatoes. Oh, okay. well, that's still unpleasant. Uh, and then there's one more creature in Iceland. It's the Yule Cat. Oh, the Yule Cat is the pet of Grilla the Child Eater and the okay. Paluti. So they they have this Christmas cat, and it apparently there was or maybe still is an expression in Iceland that if you don't get any new clothes for Christmas, you are, quote, dressing the Yule Cat or, quote, ending up in the Yule Cat. Hmm. So it's possible that the Yule Cat will pretty much eat you if you don't have a nice new sweater for the Christmas season. Okay. Uh, so this kind of ups the ante on gift giving, all right? the bad clothing that you end up getting. Yeah, where from... was the Yule Cat when we were growing up? Like, yeah. that would have been a great... I'm going to have to use that. All those Cosby yeah. sweaters. Yeah, yeah, it's literally a matter of life or death. <sighs> I they should need have these this new, underwear uh... variant that only <laughs> comes after you if you don't get underwear for Christmas. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, mine is pretty pop culture reference. It's not from like a, another nation or a culture. Uh, it is from those Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer stop motion <laughs> movies that I grew up with and loved so much as a kid. Although I went back and rewatched them. I, I, we, my wife and I actually bought it for a friend of ours kid for Christmas a couple of years ago. And there's some, 
there's some dicey uh, uh, <laughs> treatment of women in those movies, and, oh, and yeah. race is a little, uh, yeah. But uh, as many of you probably remember from seeing those, uh, the abominable snow monster of the <laughs> North is my favorite Christmas monster, also known as the Bumble, as he's so named by Yukon Cornelius, who is an expert in all things Bumble. I want to throw in that uh, my son Bastion has informed me that the abominable snowman in this uh, film is a real monster. It's oh, not a yeah. pretend monster. Really? It is a real monster. Okay. Well, I trust Bastion. He's got some insight that I, he's raised, being yeah. raised by, uh, Dr. Anton Jessup. Now, now where does, does the abominable snowman hold a candle to bad cow? Like which one would win in a fight? Um, I don't know. Cause there's not just bad cow anymore. Now there's India monster that lives. It's a blue monster that lives in India, but a different India where there are no cows, people, or animals. And then likewise, there's an Africa monster that lives in Africa and is purple, and it's a different Africa where there are no uh, elephants, giraffes, animals, or people. So. I can't wait until Bastion is writing the stories of tomorrow. Like, they're going to be great. Uh, so, you know, Abominable Snow Monster, the Bumble, he hates Christmas. Uh, can't float in water. These are all things we learned from Yukon Cornelius because the mumble doesn't really well, talk. He can't float. Yeah, that's hmm. like one of the things, and one of the ways they get away from him is like by breaking off a chip of ice and and uh, floating away on it because he can't swim. Hmm. So uh, he can't float. He prefers pork to deer meat. So there's like what? a scene where he's like theoretically about to eat the reindeer, but they uh, Yukon Cornelius makes noises like a pig to attract the bumble because the bumble wants to have some pork. Uh, and then, of course, Bumble's Bounce. Oh, I know so, that. So, uh, the spoilers for Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Yukon Cornelius and the Bumble take a tumble off a cliff, but they miraculously show up alive, and the Bumble is now, uh, a nice guy. He's, he's on the, the good side of Christmas. But, but go into detail on that, because this has disturbed me in, in recent years. How do they tame the Bumble? Okay, I believe the way that they tame him is that the elf who wants to grow up to be a dentist takes all the Bumble's teeth out, right? Yeah. So he can't, like, chomp on them anymore. So he basically just gives up on hating Christmas and being a carnivore. So it, it turns into a hostile movie. Oh, yeah. The, the, seriously, go back and watch those. They're weird and scary. <laughs> I have to say it's particularly disturbing uh, to me because I've been watching The Nick. Uh, oh, yeah. Fabulous Cinemax show, probably my favorite television show right now, dealing with, uh, you know, medicine at the turn of, uh, of the century and, uh, you know, all these fantastic flawed characters. But, uh, there's a, um, a character that shows up based, uh, based on a very real, uh, individual named, uh, Dr. Henry Cotton, an early 20th century psychiatrist who treated psychiatric patients by removing all of their teeth uh. to save them from their madness. And he even did this to his own children oh. to save them from, uh, from madness. Uh, and on the show, he's played by John Hodgman. Oh uh, boy! <laughs> in his friend least... of House of Works, John Hodgman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in his in it's John Hodgman in his least like likable performance, and therefore uh-huh. I would say his best performance because you really want to drown him in a mud puddle the whole time because he's so <laughs> yeah. so crazy and reckless with his pseudoscience. Wow! But, but yeah, I can't help but think of that character. If he influenced that story, yeah, I don't know. All uh, maybe we should do an abominable snowman episode at one point, but uh, all I could find in real brief research was that the origin for that term, I mean, of course, it's referencing the Yeti, Mm -hmm. um, but the origin for that specific term came from some men at the turn of the century, 20th century, 
writing about Mount Everest, but I don't quite know the specifics. Hmm. But maybe this dentist played into it in some way. Yeah, I just don't like that they essentially tormented the uh, this wild noble beast into submission oh, and friendship. Yeah. yeah, no, seriously, like there's so he many can things. never enjoy pork again. Well, I mean, I guess they they could make a pork slurry for it. Yeah. They could drink it like a shake or something. But yeah. That's what it takes. See, that's what it takes to get somebody into you Christmas. Folk, you you, folks you guys home. are going to have to rip all of my teeth out in order to to make me uh, happy on the holiday. You can't see the sad face I'm making. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Is getting gas at Chevron burning a hole in your wallet? What if I told you you can easily earn cash back while you fill up? Introducing Drop, the app that turns every fill up into a reward. With Drop, you'll earn points to get free gift cards every time you fill up your tank. Download Drop and use code DROP77 to instantly receive $5 in points to jumpstart your savings journey. Don't miss out on turning your gas expenses into something rewarding. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. So what better segue? Let's hit some listener mail, guys. Is uh, Arnie the robot here? There he is. Does he, is he, he works on Christmas? Oh, he works all the time. Okay. He's a robot. He has no beliefs. He no. can't complain. All he really fears is uh, loss of power supply. Oh, interesting. 
Well, what does he got for us? All right, this first one comes to us from Facebook. We heard uh, just the other day from listener Nick responding, uh, I believe, t- uh, to a couple of episodes, uh, our MDMA series, as well as our episode on uh, uh, psychopathic children. Uh, he writes in and says, would MDMA help psychopaths or sociopaths with their condition? I can't really find anything on this. Huh. Well, all right. We're not experts in these things. We just read about them and then talked about them for the podcast. But let's let's kind of back up here and see where Nick's coming from on this. So theoretically, MDMA helps those in therapy, like people with PTSD, mm-hmm. with a Reducing their fear and developing their trust. Right. And then on the other hand, uh, one of the principles of uh, psychopathic and sociopathic individuals is that their essentially their me- their empathy mechanisms are present, but are in a default off position. Right. So you have to you can research has shown that you can engage them in certain uh, um, therapies and thought experiments to force those uh, empathetic uh, systems to come online. And their brains are, as we know from our uh, Killer Children episode, their brains are actually physically different. Yeah. Um, they have less gray matter in some scenarios. I, I don't know that I necessarily see a correlation just right off the bat that doing yeah. MDMA therapy would help with psychopathy, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's a line of research that somebody would pursue. I, I haven't seen... I did a brief search to see if any, you know research materials had come up, and mm-hmm. I was not finding anything. Okay. Uh, but I guess it, on, on one hand, it would be a really hard sell, especially since yeah. a lot of the psychopathy experiments that we've seen are conducted on criminals, because that is a great place to to find uh, uh, psychopaths when it comes to uh, you know population uh, right. yeah. comparisons. And it would be hard to sell people on that, hey, we're going to get some prisoners, and we're going to put Fill them up with right. MDMA. Yeah. We're, we're much more comfortable with doing our experiments on college students. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know, uh, Nick. I'm not quite sure that I can see like a direct connection there, but maybe there's somebody out there who knows a little bit more about the sort of neurochemistry going on. Yeah, there. because I think that's the thing is you're dealing with a slightly different neurochemistry, so yeah. you, the MDMA might not affect them in the same way. And plus, we're still we're still figuring out exactly how MDMA assisted therapy works with just the average individual's brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if stuff like that comes up down the line. I mean, as we said in the MDMA episode, I believe that they're looking at like a five to ten year mm-hmm. uh, a period of time before it becomes more publicly available yeah uh i wasn't involved in the mdma episode but i can certainly see just based on the kind of anecdotal phenomenology reports about mdma people often say things about it increasing empathy and if Mm -hmm. empathy lack is exactly what right that uh, might be where nick is getting the idea that it could be potentially helpful yeah yeah Yeah, i'm not sure i guess if it yeah if it decreases fear, which a psychopath doesn't have necessarily, then it would be difficult for it to increase trust as well. Yeah, like their issue isn't that they're afraid or bundled up yeah, uh, and yeah. they're therefore less willing to engage in open discussion about their feelings and other people's feelings. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the actual feelings themselves. Well, I'd be curious. Maybe yeah, there's something yeah. to, there to it. All right, what do we got? What else do we got? Well, I uh, decided that we we got so much listener mail that was so great about the episodes Robert and I did on Tetris. Mm. 
I'm going to have to confine my readings on this episode entirely to stuff we got about the Tetris episodes, but they're, uh, yeah. they're all worth it because people had some really great feedback. I saw them come in. They were really good ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People, oh. people loved those episodes. You guys, knocked yeah, out everybody of the park. can relate to Tetris yeah. madness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's the first one of, of these Tetris emails. And this is from our listener, Luan. And Luan says, Hey guys, in your recent episode on Tetris Syndrome, you briefly mused over the idea of a video game designed by Timothy Leary. Amazingly enough, such a game exists. Many huh. years ago, I went down an abandonware wormhole and discovered the gym Mind Mirror. I remember only playing it a couple of times and found it incredibly depressing. It was an utterly incomprehensible life simulator that begins in the womb. <laughs> The game progresses as you make moral and life decisions from a number of options based on scenarios presented to you. There were other aspects to the program that I never explored. They appeared to be a number of psychological tools the user could utilize on a journey of self-discovery. Anyway, I thought you would want to know because it's weird and awesome. Yeah, it sounds right up our alley. Thanks for the podcast. And then uh, Luan also adds a PS saying, Pretty please do a show on either or both of my heroes, Robert Anton Wilson and Sir Richard Francis Burton. Neither uh, are as well known as they deserve to be. Yeah, Captain Sir Richard Francis Burton is indeed a phenomenal individual. And I could definitely see us doing an Illuminati Robert Anton Wilson type thing down the road. That would be very interesting. In fact, and this ties into what else I was going to say about Luann's email, he might be one of our psychedelic Avengers. So we've been talking about how over the last, uh, you know, couple episodes that we keep mentioning these sort of psychedelic luminaries, Timothy Leary being among them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we're putting together a team, uh, psychedelic <laughs> Avengers. Robert Anton Wilson might be on. Now, would Timothy Leary be one of the Avengers or would he be the, uh, the Samuel L. Jackson character? Oh, he I don't might know. Be, yeah. I don't know. What's that guy's name? Nick Fury? Nick Fury, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not as big a yeah, I know. comic I'm, book and, and superhero and guy. And I'm a huge nerd. Uh, so you're saying that Timothy Leary is the one who gathers them up all together and, and he's sort of the glue that keeps them together? No, he's the, uh, he's the guy who's unnecessarily propounding rules for everybody else. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Well, who do we have so far? We've got Timothy Leary. We've got... Uh, John C. Lilly. Yeah, Alexander mm-hmm. Shulgin. Mm-hmm. Terrence um, McKenna. Terrence McKenna. I think uh, particularly, possibly throwing Alan Watts yep. into the mix. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison would maybe be like a second year member. Yeah, I think you would have later. a different generation of yeah. the psychedelic Avengers you'd have to roll out. Yeah. yeah. And so this also brought to mind that Joe and I just recently watched a movie together that had Timothy Leary in it, Wes Craven's Shocker. Oh, uh, man. Leary's in that? Timothy Leary yeah, shows plays up a TV a, preacher. Yeah. He's, uh, he's on TV talking about how, uh, the Lord wants more, more cash for Christ. And then oh, Shocker wow. and the protagonist of the movie jump into the TV and are actually interacting with the Timothy Leary uh, evangelist, like as wow. in some bizarre huh. format. <laughs> I had no idea. I've yeah. never seen that. That movie. Oh, you have. Oh, that movie man. is worth watching. That should go bizarre. in the canons of the great bad movies of the eighties <laughs> yeah. and nineties. That yeah. uh, I don't know. I I don't know why it's not up there with like a Highlander two and the other ones everybody knows. Mitch Pelegi is the bad guy. Mitch Pelegi could have been like the next Freddy Krueger of the nineties. What What should I know him from? He's from X Files. He plays Skinner on the X Files. Oh. Oh, he was. This is the guy that was later on uh, the motorcycle show. Oh yeah, yeah. He was on Sons of Anarchy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he was on Supernatural yeah, for a little. Yeah, that bit guy. Too. Yeah, yep. I, okay. mm-hmm. yep. 
He plays the prisoner who gets electrocuted and somehow makes a deal with electric voodoo gods to become electricity. Yeah. <laughs> what, what? He's an electricity ghost. What's so weird about that? <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. Okay, this one comes to us from Elizabeth, and she says, Hi, I just listened to your podcast about detectives, and overall it was really interesting. So this was actually before I had officially joined the show. We did a, uh, an episode together where I guest hosted. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about detective stories. Yeah. Uh, so she says, part of it focused on a fascination we seem to have with the incredibly, fantastically grotesque scenes in our modern detective style horror, like in the TV show Hannibal. And while that's true, it also reminded me of the author. I'm, I might be pronouncing this wrong. Ido Gawa. Rampo, who is really known for those kinds of mystery stories. Ido Gawa Rampo, though, is the pseudonym of the author Hirai Taro, who is greatly influenced by Western authors like Edgar Allan Poe and Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, and as we discussed in that episode, Edgar Allan Poe is kind of like the father of the detective story with uh, Murders of the Rue Morgue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. His pseudonym sounds similar in Japanese syllabary to Edgar Allan Poe's name, as in Japanese phonetics, Poe's name would be Ido Ga Aran Po. And when you say it that way, it sounds really similar to Ido Gawa Aran Po. Anyway, his body of work started out as more of a detective procedural, but after some time evolved into a literary genre called Iro Guru Nonsensu, which stands for erotic, grotesque, and nonsensical, (laughs) which runs rather strongly and similar to scenes like in Hannibal that can be a complete trip or are psychologically haunting in that it brings into question what we think of as personal space for humans. This sounds right up our alley, guys. Now I want to read some of this stuff. He's a fairly modern writer, but he was active since pre-World War II and has some notable works which have been translated into English. I just thought this would be an interesting thing to share since it seemed like you guys cited some more modern examples of this. But Ido Gawa... Gawa Ranpo is, I keep wanting to just say Edgar Allan Poe, uh-huh. is more of an early 20th century author and an international writer who is inspired by Western detective stories. Uh, and in the, although not a mystery writer, technically, Taiko Kono has also done some short stories that tend to diverge into pathology that runs along similar lines. Her stories in particular were really interesting, to say the least, to myself and my classmates at the time, because they would start out completely normal and then they would take a turn that no one expected. They left quite an impression on us. And that's from Elizabeth. Yeah, that yeah, sounds, sounds awesome. I want to check that out. Yeah. So I'm adding that to my uh, my my wish list of, of books that's growing by the minute. Yeah, especially since uh, after hearing that, I'm instantly thinking of various examples of particularly uh, you know, Japanese um, horror mm-hmm. and, uh, and some uh, some Japanese uh, comic uh, material and wondering, uh, do, does it have its roots? In, uh, right, in this? yeah. Or, or if the same cultural influences on those things influence this, then Indeed. it also sounds like it would be perfect for me. Okay, going back to a lot of the response we got on our Tetris episodes, a, a good bit of this came to, in the episode, we asked a question about the subject of EMDR, which is a type of therapy that is, uh, uh, it has a lot of support, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people are, are very into it and say that it really works, but I think it's also controversial. And so we asked if anybody has practiced this in, in their own uh, in their own therapy sessions and what they had to say about it and we got a lot of feedback on yeah. this mostly positive we heard from a couple people saying they thought it didn't work or at least it didn't work for them and then we also heard from a lot of people saying that it was a big it made a big difference in their lives and I'm going to read one of these and this is from our listener Kristen 
Kristen says, hey, stuff to blow your mind. Loved your Ig Nobel Prize episode, but to get to the real reason I'm sending this email is because I've received and am about to begin another set session of EMDR. I served in Afghanistan in 2011 and 2012 with the U.S. Army's PSYOPs, which is Psychological Operations mm-hmm. Corps, uh, working with detainees in prisons overseas. After coming home from Afghanistan and getting out of the army, it was difficult to deal with the memories and experiences doing what I did. I went to traditional therapy for a few years, but that wasn't really working with addressing the crippling flashbacks. My therapist and I had built a great rapport, uh, very needed in this type of intensive therapy, and decided to try it with a smaller, less intrusive negative memory that wasn't combat-related. The goal is to find the right sense-driven outlet to the EMDR before getting started. You can do audio, visual, or tactile, or as I did, a combination, three out of three. You talk through whatever memory or experience you're hung up on while audio, hearing clicks or beeps or chimes in headphones, visual, studying light patterns on an LED-type screen, or tactile, hand buzzers held in the hands that either vary in intensity, speed, flip from hand to hand, etc. I've heard of the retinal version of this mm-hmm. before. Okay. Yeah, the the main ones we knew about going in were just mentioning the, that it had to do with eye movements. But what mm-hmm. we heard from multiple listeners is that it's not just eye movements, but multiple types of physical, yeah, sure. uh, physical spatial interactions. Okay. Uh, so uh, Kristen continues... I'm going to be very honest and open about this, as I am with all my experiences with therapy, because this is something important. Soldiers are hurting. EMDR is extremely difficult to get through. After my first session, and this memory wasn't even combat-related, I cried for, true story, hours. Your brain pathways are being redirected through magic, kidding, and this will impact how you really view your world and who you believe you are. But if you stick with it, whatever negative way the brain prints this memory, EMDR will rewrite it, help you deal with it, and my favorite part of it, forgive you for it and change your view of it. Any other questions, I have no problems answering. Thank you so much for bringing this up. Uh, and then Kristen also says in a PS, uh, I should have put this before, but my therapist is with the vet center separate from the VA and she as, uh, and the rest of the staff should get a very huge shout out. They do more work than the VA and get none of the credit. The staff at vet centers across the country has literally saved my life and I'm sure they saved countless others. Thank you. And she thanks her doctor. Yeah. That is, uh, really heartwarming to yeah. hear. First yeah. of all, like a firsthand account of this. Uh, the other thing that particularly struck me was we received this right as Robert and I were doing the research for the MDMA episode on how MDMA is used to treat PTSD. Yeah, we didn't plan to do those back to back like that, but no. yeah, just, just sort of been... accidental synchronicity there. Yeah. Uh, which we often find between episodes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I'd be curious if Kristen, uh, it sounds like she probably doesn't have an experience with this, but if she knows other soldiers who have potentially, uh, experimented with the MDMA treatment for PTSD, it sounded like from the research that we had read that there had been great strides with it, mm-hmm. spe- yeah. specifically with vets. Yeah. yeah. When you looked at the, uh, yeah, the, the, the success uh, percentiles for sure. Yeah. So I wanted to give a big thanks to Kristen and to all the other people who uh, mm-hmm. got in touch with us about their stories using EMDR and, and how it has affected their lives. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. 
Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the worst world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Is getting gas at Exxon burning a hole in your wallet? What if I told you you can easily earn cash back while you fill up? Introducing Drop, the app that turns every fill-up into a reward. With Drop, you'll earn points to get free gift cards every time you fill up your tank. Download Drop and use code DROP66 to instantly receive $5 in points to jumpstart your savings journey. Don't miss out on turning your gas expenses into something rewarding. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, we have another one here. This one uh, comes to us. uh, This is a less happy (laughs) listener mail. This one comes to us from Maria. And uh, I do want to go ahead and mention that Maria is a special education teacher, uh, and she uh, entitled this one, Babysitting a Psychopathic Kid. So we just got this wow. one in in response to the episode that Christian and I did about. Wow. That just published yesterday. Yeah. See how fast we get those. I haven't even read this one yet. Yeah. Well, here we sit go. Back. Here it goes. And this is kind of a lengthy email. So I'm just going to read selections from it, uh, for time. But, uh, but again, I want to thank her for, for writing in. 
and giving us a little more uh, personal insight into this topic. She says, hey, guys, I wanted to write in about my own experience with babysitting a psychopathic child. There's some uh, anecdotal stuff coming, but at the end, I have an interesting thought for you. As a teenager, I got a babysitting gig for a very special family. Of their five children, the oldest is autistic and the youngest has Down syndrome. But they were the easy ones to take care of. The second oldest child, we will call her Molly, not her real name, was outwardly normal but turned out to be the real trouble. After listening to your podcast, it confirmed the suspicion I had formed all those years ago about Molly. She made me uncomfortable as no other kid ever had. She was uh, precocious but oddly heartless, discarding the feelings of her siblings just a little too easily. I thought that she was a psychopath. I wish I had been wrong. The first sign that something was off was that Molly threw tantrums well after her sixth birthday. Have you ever tried to pull a six-year-old off her younger brother after he ate the last marshmallow? She was big enough to hurt me while I attempted to carry her off to her room, leaving me with a bloody nose and a black eye at least once. She wasn't trying to hurt me, but she certainly didn't care that she had. Once she hid in the house after I had scolded her. I looked for her for over an hour, my panic growing when I found the front door unlocked. I knew she was capable of running away. As I braced myself to call her parents and the police... And after stirring myself up into hysterics, she came downstairs and laughed at me. She was constantly manipulating me and her parents. Between the three of us, we never knew what to believe. Finally, we just wouldn't let her do anything without verifying it with another adult. That made her angry. Cue another tantrum. I also remember her trying to convince me that she was allowed to do something. She crawled into my lap and stared deep, deep into my eyes while she tried to convince me, almost like she was trying to hypnotize me. Very creepy. Sometimes we thought it was just jealousy after her mom gave birth to twins, and she and the babies had to spend a few weeks in the hospital. Maybe she just needed a little extra attention. So we made sure she got it. But once uh, she had you in her control, you couldn't walk away. No matter what was going on outside her bedroom, whether dinner needed to be cooked or if another kid was crying, she would put herself between me and the doorway and say I couldn't leave. When I had to insist and physically push my way past her, that would start a tantrum too. Fast forward a few years. I met her family at a Down Syndrome benefit and nearly fainted when I saw Molly. Her hair was gone, sheared off into uneven, stubbly mess. Noticing my shock, her mother explained, by age nine, Molly had developed trichotillomania, where she compulsively pulled out her own hair, eyebrows, eyelashes. But it didn't stop there. The family cats were suddenly missing whiskers and fur, too. On a brighter note, uh, Maria relates that Molly has been receiving therapy since she was about five, and she happens to live uh, in an area where there's a, there are a lot of opportunities for uh, for care uh, and therapy for children like this with special needs. She uh, closes out here by saying, but speaking of the stigma of psycho, psych, psychopathy, I can't help but remain cautious about Molly. She's a teenager now and comes across as very sweet when you meet her. But somewhere deep down, I will always wonder if that shrieking banshee of a child is just waiting to emerge. Anyway, have a lovely, lovely evening, gentlemen. I wish I could have written on a happier topic. Keep up the good work. Well, I can see now why uh, she responded so quickly uh, that it sounds like she had a very personal experience. And yeah. what we mentioned in the episode definitely struck her as potentially being what she was experiencing here. So, OK, from the research we did for the episode, I mean, again, I'm not a doctor, but, yeah, the the, the level of violence and manipulation yeah. sounds like the psychopathy. Um, there's something about seeing this kind of condition in a child Right. That emphasizes the unfairness of it. Like we're oh, so yeah. used to being able to um, to assign blame 
to people when they're awful as adults, you know, people just, if somebody manipulates people and is violent and all that, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to condemn them. And certainly we do have to take defensive measures against uh, people who, who have destructive behaviors. Yeah. But I don't know that there's another side to it that's sad when, when you imagine that, you know, to a certain extent, people can be born with conditions that they didn't pick. You know, yeah. they didn't ask to be born with a with a brain condition that makes them violent and manipulative. And our culture certainly doesn't, um, at the moment, really understand how to cope with this kind of yeah. condition. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Anyway, especially when you see it in a child, just the 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 stark unfairness of the situation emerges. At yeah. least to me. And oh, totally. The thing that I think is important to keep in mind is one of, one of the points that we kept, you know, kind of the main theme of that episode we kept coming back to, which is that it's a combination of nature and nurture, right? That, that um, children with psychopathy, in the case that we were talking mainly about were juvenile homicidal offenders, they do have different brains. There's definite evidence that shows that their brains have different structures in them. They have less gray matter. But... There's also evidence that through treatment, you can help these things. You can help add back in gray matter or help their brains sort of, you know, become quote unquote more normal. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that requires a very specific type of caring for these children. And Maria's uh, letter reminded me of this New York Times piece that w- was a very well-written feature about a family that had a child like this and all of the measures that they went through and the um, treatment that they were going through mm-hmm. with their child as well. It just kind of reminded me of that. So I hope that, that you know, um, uh, the child that she's referring to is getting that same kind of care. And it sounds like she is, but uh, you know, one of the things is you just know that there are also children out there that are not receiving the, this level of treatment, this right. level of care, and their their condition is not being approached with this level of understanding. And yeah, what's luckily, happen there? they're just going to fall through the cracks. Luckily, it sounds like her parents are engaged with her, whereas like uh, some psychopathic children who have these natural brain uh, malformations, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, are also neglected and abused by their parents, which yeah. only makes the problem worse. Yeah. Okay, uh, moving on to the next email. We got uh, some great correspondence from our listener, Jim, also about the Tetris episode. He, he sent us several really great emails, and I don't have time to read the whole correspondence, but here are some selections from it. Uh, Jim opened on the question that we started our first Tetris episode with about uh, about math, whether math is a human invention or human discovery. Okay. And and Jim says, uh, you started with the old philosophical question of mathematics being an invention or discovery. I had written to you several years ago on this when you brought it up in a previous podcast. I won't repeat that, but the best description I've heard was from Stephen Strogatz's book, The Joy of X. (laughs) I am paraphrasing, but he said that the axioms of a mathematical system are the invention. Then the conclusions from those axioms would be a discovery. I I thought this was an interesting distinction. I liked it. But he goes on. He says, I like to use a chess analogy for this. The game of chess is an invention. That is the board, the pieces, their movements, capture. A description of this invention fits on a single sheet of paper. However, there are shelves of books that go into the extensive discovery of chess. That is how to play the game well. Yeah. Forks, pins, pawn strategy, book upon book catalog the discovery of chess that comes from the simple one-sheet invention. The same is true of mathematics. Most mathematical inventions are fairly 
small, but the discovery conclusions are endless. Mm. So uh, I, I think the adaptation of that would be that the, the mathematical, uh, sort of symbols and concepts we come up with are human inventions. They don't, at least on this point of view, exist anywhere in the universe. You know, three yeah. and the, and the plus and the equals don't, but three plus three equals six is not an invention. That's a discovery. It's mm-hmm. a fact that existed about the universe before we invented these tools to discover it. Um, and then also he has some great thoughts about whether Tetris is solvable. So this is a thing we talked about in that first Tetris episode. He says, I'd like to clarify something about Tetris being unsolvable. It is solvable, but the solution is for all practical purposes too inefficient to be useful. Since Tetris is part of the NP-complete problem set, no known efficient solution exists. These type of problems are called intractable. In essence, the known solution is to try every possible combination of moves, then pick the best out of the entire set. It's a solution, but it's brute force, and except for the smallest scenarios, there isn't enough computing power to run all of the combinations efficiently. NP-complete problems are very interesting. They're a subset of NP problems. I won't go into the formal definition of P, NP, or NP-complete, but like Tetris, NP problems are solvable only by brute forcing through every possible combination. What makes NP complete problems interesting is that any NP problem can be reduced or transformed to an instance of an NP complete problem in an efficient amount of time. Therefore, if we find an efficient solution to just one NP complete problem, then we would have an efficient solution for all NP problems. Efficient solutions are identified as P. The biggest question in computer theory and possibly mathematics as a whole is whether P and NP are two different sets or really the same set. Uh, the problem has been around for 40 or more years and no one has proved the equality or inequality and a lot of brilliant minds have tried. This is actually a subject that, uh, I'm speaking for myself now. I've wanted to do this for a while, but it's been really difficult whenever I get into the preliminary research for it is just uh, like dealing with the abstract problems yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's it's just difficult to concretize um, yeah but yeah it is this huge fascinating question in computation theory uh, are all problems that can be checked for a solution inherently solvable efficiently <laughs> sounds like a real kobayashi maru to me <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Jim has some other great comments about the, the PNP issue, but, um, but yeah, th- that is something that if I can ever figure out a way to, to concretize it, I'd like to come back and, and deal with on the show someday. Yeah. Reminds me of that David Foster Wallace book about, uh, infinity. <laughs> that, that like it's such an it, incredibly dense, difficult topic, yeah. but he somehow everything and more. Yeah. He somehow tried to make it sexy. Yeah. Infinity is a, a wonderful. Wonderful topic. Uh, we, we covered it in a previous podcast episode, but it's, it's the kind of thing I would love to explore it again. Mm. Love to revisit. All right. So there you have it. You know, the, the robot is giving us some signals here. Uh, and, uh, it means that we are out of time for listener mail. Uh, we, we weren't able to fit in as many on this episode, but that's because we, uh, we uh, include some monsters uh, for yeah. your holiday. Amusement. And you know what? We're going to be back in 2016. That's right. We'll have lots of episodes and lots of uh, ways to read listener mail. I already got some ideas for new episodes just from uh, this this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, in the meantime, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the mothership. That's where you'll find all the 
blog posts, the podcast. You'll find videos. You'll find links out to our our many wonderful social media accounts. Yeah, that includes Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, and Periscope, right, guys? We'll be on Periscope on Fridays, noon Eastern Standard Time, except for maybe for the next, like, week or two. Yeah. Uh, just because of the holidays and weirdness with traveling schedules. Yeah, just tune like in that. during Christmas. You're just going to find a bunch of Yule Lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got the Yule Lads on duty. But uh, I'll try to keep everybody updated on our social media accounts of when we will be on Periscope and when we'll be back on our regular schedule. And if you want to get in touch with us with a message that may one day end up on a listener mail up episode of its own, you can email us at blowthemindathowstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriment, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Overspending on Amazon? Earn while you shop with Drop. Earn rewards on every purchase, online or in-store. Download Drop now and use code DROP11 to get $5 in points. Get rewarded for shopping today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.